Good to see everybody here. And we uh, want to tell you thank you so much for your prayers. We had an amazing weekend uh, at our P3 conference, our leadership conference that we have every uh, October, the beginning of October, and it was uh, truly a blessing. Uh, it's always awesome to get together with uh, the leaders of our church. I love our church. I love our leaders. Um, I'm excited about what God has done in our church. I'm excited about what he's doing, but I'm, I'm pumped about what he's got in store for us too. And so we're, we're excited to uh, reveal the, that theme and share with you what that is at the beginning of 2023, if the Lord allows us to see that. And uh, hopefully that'll be something that we uh, run with and God blesses in an amazing way. Uh, but this year's theme, I want to remind you of that, comes from Colossians chapter 3. Our theme for this year that has been all throughout 2022 is raised with Christ. The verses, Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says, Therefore, if you have been raised up or risen with Christ, raised with Christ, keep seeking things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. It says in verse 2, set your mind. That word mind means uh, uh, your cares, your thoughts, your, your, your desires, your affections. Cast your mind, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. And verse 3 tells us the reason why. It says, because you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And so it's such an important reminder that we are not to be living for this world. We're not to be focused on this world. We have to live in the world, obviously. We're on this earth. Uh, there are things that we have to do. God has entrusted to us responsibilities that we've been given uh, to take care of our families. Praise God, we live in a country where we can work and, and, and have so many opportunities to do that, to, to work and make a living, to provide for our family. But the, the Bible tells us it's not just about us. Not only do we provide for our family, but we have an opportunity to give to others, to give to the Lord, and to live our lives as a living sacrifice. And so uh, to live a life the way that God intends for us to live it, we need to be thinking about eternal things. Uh, this weekend I shared uh, in, in reminding our, our, our leaders and, uh, on what this year's theme was that Jesus said it like this, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt. Don't, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where, where things are going to decay, things are going to go away, but set your Set your mind on things above. Store for yourself treasures in heaven. He says this, because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. And so again, just a reminder this morning, as we uh, are going to be wrapping up our, our study, our long journey through the book of Acts, and uh, let's, let's rem remember what we have learned along the way, these examples that we have, we've got from that first church, who no doubt, and again, so, sometimes people say, well, that... They had it a little bit easier than us because they saw Jesus. They saw his miracles. They saw him risen from the grave. There was, there was no doubt in their minds. And, and so when they were gathered there on the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit, you know, came down and did exactly what Jesus told him he would do, there's no question that for them, they, they were all about eternal things. They, they were all living for the Lord and all living for each other. It seemed to be a simple thing for them to be daily in the temple. But for us, we got life to live. We got events to go to. We got stuff to do. We got things to enjoy. 
And just again, the reminder, hopefully, in this study, that we are the same church of Jesus Christ. It doesn't, doesn't change what we've been called to do and, and what we, who are, we are called to be just because we have more stuff, just because we have more things to do. It doesn't negate what we've been called to do. Again, who we've been called to be. Last week, we saw two more points, and it was this. The first point was there are many who will hear and not truly surrender, or not truly receive the gospel. The second point was this. There's going to be a day when the door of salvation will be closed. And both of those are, are saddening points. They're sobering points to make us realize that there are absolutely people, unfortunately, maybe under the sound of my voice, maybe listening online, who are not truly saved but have heard the gospel countless times. You've heard and you even know the gospel. You know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. But the problem in, in, in just knowing is it's disconnected from believing. You can know all day long and, and, and you can even believe it in your mind and your heart. You say, whoa, wait a second. I thought if you believed that you could be saved. Absolutely, if you have saving faith. Because the Bible says this, that the demons believe and they tremble. The demons know that Jesus is God. The demons have no doubt about the fact that Jesus, God in the flesh, came to this earth, lived a sinless life, that he went to the cross and, as Hebrews says, made a sacrifice that's once and for all the payment for all mankind's sin. The demons know that. They know that after Jesus died on the cross, just as he promised his followers, just as it was prophesied he would do, the demons know that Jesus rose from the grave the third day. They know that he ascended 40 days later to the right hand of the throne of God. The demons believe that. They have no doubt about it. But there's something different about the demons and those who are truly the children of God. And it's this. Those who are truly the children of God have heard the gospel They've received it. They've surrendered their life to it. We talked about faith and repentance. And there's a, there's a stark difference because we talked about this. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7 that there's going to be a day of judgment. And on that day of judgment, there's even going to be people who are false prophets who pre preached and taught in the name of Jesus and did amazing works and were, were, were serving God and were faithful to church and all these things. But, but on that day, the Bible says that there are going to be many who say to him, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy, preach in your name? And didn't, didn't we do amazing works in your name? He says, then, then I'll profess them, depart from me, I never knew you. That, that's a saddening and sobering thought, but that's the reality. There are going to be many people who hear the gospel, and they never will truly receive and surrender. Because, again, just because you know what it is, just because you know what the Bible says Jesus did, and, and even if you believe it in your mind and your heart, but you have never surrendered to it. You have never turned away from sin and turned away from yourself, turned away from being the God of your own life, turned away from the world. If you've never turned away from that, and in turning away from that, turn to Jesus Christ, Surrendering your whole life, the control, the decisions, the, the thought, everything. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ as not only the Savior who died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for your sins, but surrender to him as the Lord of your life.
Because that's what the scripture says. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Jesus is your Lord. If you've never done that, then you can know and you could even tell somebody how to be saved all day long. And still spend eternity in hell. And the reason why I'm preaching that straight is because that's what the Bible says. And I don't, I don't want somebody to, to come to this church and, and, and walk out the doors with some hope-so salvation. And that's what I was sharing last week. Or some think-so salvation. I'm pretty sure I'm saved. No. I want you to, every person who comes in these doors, to be able to walk out of these doors saying, I know that I'm saved. I know because there was, there was a moment in my life, whether it was at, at an altar or in my car or on the, uh, at my job or in wherever, there was a moment in my life where I repented and I turned my life over to Jesus and I became his child. And the Holy Spirit entered my life and he, and he radically changed me just as we shared last week. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All the old things are past. Behold, or look, all things have become new. Your desires change. Your direction change. All, that, all those things change. And again, the reason why is because I don't want anybody who comes here, whether they, you come here every single week or whether it's your first time here, I don't want anybody to go to hell. I don't want anybody to have to experience the horror of never having one single moment of hope for all of eternity. That their pain and their suffering will ever be removed from them. I don't want anybody to expect that's such a tragic thought. That not only will you suffer for all of eternity in physical, in mental, in emotional torment, the Bible says tormented, but you will have no hope that it will ever be relieved. There will be no hope. You'll never see at any point in time in all of eternity when you're suffering under the, the payment of your own sin, there will never be a day, there will never be a time, not even a moment that you'll see one person be able to escape just for a second the torment that they're in. You'll never see it. So you'll never have hope that it will end for you. That's why the gospel, the good news is such good news because it's the only way. Jesus said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Again, hopefully these points have caused us to pause and remember and as a church, as the children of God, always remaining vigilant in the gospel service. But they're not just saddening. They're not just saddening. They're also encouraging points to rejoice in. You say, how is it encouraging to know that, there's, that, that there are going to be a lot of people that hear the gospel and never truly surrender to it? How is it encouraging to know that there's going to be a day that the door of salvation is going to be closed and people will forever be under the judgment of their own sin? How is that encouraging and joyful? It's encouraging and joyful because we know these things to be true in those points, that God is faithful. We know that in those points that God is just. We know those, in those points that God is a promise keeper. We know in those points that God will save those who truly surrender their life to him. But we also know the reality in his justice that he will judge those who ultimately reject him. We really discussed the imperative element of repentance. Again, and this morning, I want to continue on as, as we, we move forward. But 
I, I feel like I definitely want to read this verse. Because to clarify, because I don't want you to walk out of here and say, well, I'm pretty sure I surrendered my life. No, I want you to know you did. And I want you to know what repentance looks like. I don't, I don't want you to just think, well, I, I prayed this prayer and I was sincere in my heart. Does that mean that I, that I may not be saved because I didn't say the word repent? I want you to listen to what Jesus said. This is our Lord. This is what he said. The Son of Man must suffer many things in Luke chapter 9 and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, to follow me, he must first deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. No matter what the sacrifice, no matter what the pain, no matter what the shame, no matter what it takes, that's what bearing your cross means. You'll follow it. He says this, because whoever wishes to hold on to his own life, to save his life, well, I want Jesus and I want to live for me. Can't do it. I want Jesus in heaven and heaven and I want that and I want to still live for the world. Can't do it. He says, if you want to hold on to your life, you'll actually lose it in the end. But whoever will let go of his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. What does a man profit if he gains the whole world? I mean, look at the, 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 the richest people in the world. They're the, some of the most miserable people if you really know about their life. Some man profit if he gains the whole world and loses and forfeits himself. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Later, in that same exact book, a different chapter, in chapter, uh, I'm sorry, uh, different verse, verse 57, he says this, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Very noble statement. Jesus said to him, well, the foxes have holes and the birds, uh, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He looked at another one and said, follow me. And he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Perfectly fine excuse. But what did Jesus say? Follow me. And that was an imperative command in the present. Follow me now. Right now. Leave everything. Follow me. And he said, well, I got some stuff to do in the world. But yeah, but was Jesus cold-hearted not letting this man go bury his father? Listen to what he says. Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. He was given to him this eternal vision that, men, our lives are but a, a vapor. Right now they're here, but tomorrow they may be gone. The next moment they may be gone. Jesus was saying, I am God, not you, not your family. I am God. Follow me now. I got, I got family, I got stuff on this earth to do. Jesus said, listen. That's not what it takes. He was trying to explain what it truly means to trust him alone. Another said to him, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go say goodbye to those at home. Another reference to family. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Chapter 14, verse 25, now large crowds were going along with him and he he turned to them and said, this is a large group of people, multiple, thousands of people probably. He says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, now this is an uh, important understanding in the translation process. Hate was the best way to describe the type of, the, the type of um, commitment and love he was talking about. 
Because he was saying, if you do not love your, th these relationships less, that's what they were, that's why it was translated like this. So if anyone, does, it, but it's, but it's, it's love less to the point that it looks like hate. His own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Jesus wasn't saying that you have to leave your, your wife and your kids. He wasn't saying that you have to actually disdain them and have malice towards the, your family members. No, he was saying in comparison to your love for him and your devotion to him, that's what it will look like. That's what that true repentance and trust in Jesus looks like. He says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, he lays the foundation, he's not able to finish it, and then everybody who's looking at him begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build, but he's not even able to finish it. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men, soldiers, to encounter the one that's coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while, at least, while the other one's still a far way off, he, he, he recognizes, look, this is not going to be good, so we're going to send a delegation to ask for terms of peace. So that none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Therefore, salt is good. But if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It's useless. Salt, when it's not effective in doing what it's supposed to do, it's not even good for soil or fertilizer. It's thrown out. He says, who has ears to hear, let him hear. Again, I, I believe we've gone through this study and we've kind of had a litmus test. Revealed some of the things individually and corporately that we need to apply in our lives. Things, again, that have encouraged us. Things that help us to know that we're not alone. And battles that we face. Things that have helped us and encouraged us to keep doing the work. And sharing the gospel. There's no doubt been things that have challenged us and, and convicted, convicted us. And as we wrap up this morning, I marvel at the fact that we're looking at these verses and these points this morning. The reason why I'll share in just a second. Verse, uh, chapter 28, verse 30. He stayed two full years, this is Paul, in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus with all openness and unhindered. Point number one, to be who you're supposed to be in Christ requires sacrifice and sincerity, even in prolonged trials. To be who you're supposed to be in Christ requires sacrifice and sincerity, even in prolonged trials. We talked a little bit about this weekend, and there have been statements made by certain people before, and they said things, well, you know, here's how you get through the difficult times. You fake it until you make it. And I would say, absolutely don't do that. <laughs> I would strive to be sincere. Regardless of how you're feeling, regardless of how difficult it is, strive to be sincere. Well, this sacrifice isn't what you can afford. That's not sacrifice. That's appropriation. When you say, well, I think I can probably do this. Uh, I think I can afford to do this. Or I think that, uh, let me check my schedule and see if I have enough time to. That's appropriation. And the sincerity isn't good intentions. The sacrifice is all you have. Romans chapter 12 tells us that, that we are to be a living and holy sacrifice. 
It says that we're not supposed to be conformed to this world, but constantly being transformed by the renewing of our mind. This sincerity is love and faith unfeigned. It's sin- sincere, genuine, it's, it's pure. It's not I'm somebody at home and somebody else at church. Because by the way, if that's happening, your kids will one day leave the church prayerfully to return. But if you aren't who you are supposed to be all the time, we saw it this weekend, people do what people see. And that's what your kids will do. But did you get what Paul was doing while he was awaiting his appearance before Caesar? This guy doesn't even know how long he's going to be living And the Bible tells us, in hindsight, that it was two full years. Two full years paying rent. He was a prisoner. He was under house arrest, but he was paying rent. And and notice these details. He was welcoming anyone who visited him, friend or foe. This guy could have been bitter. He could have been resentful. God, I have given up everything. Remember Philippians chapter 3? All things I count as loss for the surpassing value of just knowing Jesus Christ. He had left behind Phariseeism. He had left behind his his fame. He had left behind his power and authority and hauling people to prison and and having fear. He he left all of it behind to follow Jesus Christ, and this is where it's brought him, to be in a Roman prison uh, under house arrest, waiting to see if he's even going to live to stand before Nero, and he's paying rent. And he's welcoming, the Bible says, anyone all for two full years he was doing this and while the people came to him he was faithful in those two full years to preach the kingdom of God and teach concerning Jesus Christ and he was doing it praise God freely no one was telling him you can't say this can't do that you can't say this you know we live in a world that's driven by get your own you do what you want to do you better look out for you You do what pleases you. You can be anything that you say that you are. Regardless of what God has designed you to be, you just say what you want to be. We also live in a world where people will video a person getting beaten up versus stepping in to help them. It's nauseating to see people laughing and scoffing at somebody else getting hurt and videoing along the way. People being beat up and robbed, stabbed. It's heartbreaking. We think about our Lord demonstrating, again, being the greatest example of sacrifice and sincerity, not only teaching it, not only saying it. Luke chapter 10, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What do I got to do to go, to go to heaven for all of eternity? He said to him, what's written in the law? You're a lawyer. You're an expert. What's written in the law? How does it read to you? The lawyer answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you'll live forever. But wishing to justify himself, He said to Jesus, who is my neighbor then? Jesus replied, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. 
They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him. And they went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, there was a priest who was going along that, that same road. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Now, uh, according to the law, they couldn't have gone near him or even touched that guy because they would have been defiled. But Jesus was talking about the intent of the law, about the letter of the law. So he passed by. Likewise, the Levite also, when he came to the place and saw and passed on the other side. There's a Samaritan who, by the way, the Samaritans were despised by the Jews, hated, unclean. This guy was on a journey. He came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Came to him, bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He put on him his own beast. He put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, "Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will return. And I'll, when I return, I will repay you." Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell in, into the robber's hands? And reluctantly, that lawyer who hated Samaritans had to say this because it was what the law intended for us to understand. He said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And so Jesus says to him, go and do the same. But Jesus also lived it out. Philippians chapter 2, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind and maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude, have this mind, have this way of thinking in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he was God in the flesh. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. For this reason, God had highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow on those who are in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We've already talked about this young man but Paul had pointed him out, and, uh, and so did we uh, along the way. But the importance of sincere faith, real faith, and that young man's name is Timothy. Though he hadn't been saved up to the point that he heard the gospel, he had a lineage of, of faith in God from his grandmother to himself. Second Timothy chapter 1, Paul said, I'm mindful of the sincere faith, sincere, the real genuine faith that's in you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. See the importance. Again, we learn from, from this first church era. We learn from Paul to be sincere in our faith, to be sincere in our love for one another, for others, and for the Lord. If we're going to please the Lord, if we're going to be effective for his kingdom, sacrifice and sincerity are vital. Listen, I want to challenge you this morning. Ask yourself, am I living my life for Jesus in a way that looks like I am sacrificing all, a living sacrifice, a daily sacrifice, and then I'm sincerely living out my faith 
Uh, no matter if I'm at work around the guys or the gals, it doesn't matter if I'm at school around my friends, it doesn't matter if I'm at home and, and watching a show, I am sincerely following Christ. My kids see it, my friends see it, my coworkers see it, that I am all in for Jesus. Because that's sincerity. And that's what makes a mark. And if you want your kids and grandkids to spend eternity in heaven, then we better get serious about being sincere in our faith. Because they will, they will, they'll walk away. If you show them that there are things in this world that can be more important than the things of God, they will live that way the rest of their life. Unless the Lord, by, in His grace, grants them and they take advantage of the opportunity they have to be sincere in their faith. Which it happens, but it's rare. Timothy had a lineage of faith, sincere faith. That should be a challenge to us parents and grandparents. I want my kids to see that while mom and dad aren't perfect, what we, do, what we say is what we're trying to do at home, when we're out in public, when we're here. We're not acting to be like somebody that we're not at home. They don't see, well, dad's, well dad gets up on stage and he pretends to be somebody that he's not. Sometimes I'm saying jokes and they're, they're knowing that it's, that's the way that we are. It's just the way, it's just the way it is. It needs to be that way. For, and I'm not saying I'm perfect in that. But that's what we need to live. We need to live sincerely, genuinely. Number two, when you live sacrificially and sincerely, God gives you special blessings in his kingdom. And this is so true. It may not be riches. It may not be the coolest house or the car. It may not be the best, you know, I've got the most friends. I've got the most stuff. I've got the coolest things at my house. That's not the type of special blessings God's interested in giving us. He gives us some of those earthly and temporal blessings. He gives us sometimes opportunities to enjoy stuff on this world, on this earth, that are really cool and pleasing to the flesh. That's, and, and, and not flesh in a sinful way. They're just enjoyable. But God's, I believe, especially interested in giving us spiritual blessings that nothing or no one in this world can even come close to giving us. It only comes from Him. But I believe those, those blessings primarily come when we're living sacrificially and sincerely. Because again, it's not only the rewards now and the blessings now, open doors that God gives to us. Man, if I wasn't living sacrificially and sincerely, I wouldn't have had this opportunity. That's this type of stuff that God does. Man, I would have never known that God wanted me to talk to that person. I would have never, my eyes would have been blinded to it. I thought we would have just been in this situation for blank reason. But man, I, I was just, I was praying for this person's salvation. I was praying for them to return to God. And God opened the door as an amazing blessing. Open doors now and blessings now and later. Mark chapter 10, when he was sitting, he was setting out on a journey. A man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. He was establishing the fact that he was God. He said to the young man, You know the commandments. You're a good Jewish boy. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Don't steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. All these, all these relational commands, all these things, how you're supposed to treat other people, do these things. The, the, the young man replied, Teacher, I've done all these things. I respect my parents. I've not done any of those. I don't steal. I don't lie. I don't defraud. I don't commit adultery. I don't murder. 
looking at this young man, Jesus, felt a love for him, and he said to him, there's one thing you lack. Amazing opportunity. Again, I've I've preached this before. Can you imagine that that God himself comes to you and tells you, there's one thing you got to fix in your life? I'd be like, thank you, Lord. You know, so many times I feel like they were like, I got so many things that I need to fix. He comes to you, you got one thing you got to get. You're right. Can you imagine the, the young man's excitement to hear something like that? One thing? Cool. Tell me what it is and I'll do it. But it was, it was something big. Go and sell all that you possess, everything, and give it all to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. He was telling him, trust me. Turn your life over to me. Trust me. Trust me that even if you sold everything you had in, to, in, in obedience and sacrifice and sincerity, even if you gave it all the way to the poor, tr- trust me to the point that I would not only give to you what you sold, but I would I could even give to you more than what you, you sold. Kind of like what Job went through. Kind of like what others went through. The young man didn't like what he heard because he had a God in his life, and his God was his stuff and his money. He was living for his stuff. He was living for him and his stuff. And so he was saddened at these things. And he went away grieving, the Bible says, because he was one who owned much property. It was going to be a lot of money and a lot of land. And it's, it's, it's different that in, in our mindset, in our 20, uh, 21st century mindset, we, all of us have the mindset, most, most of us, not all of us, most of us have the mindset that, like, we need to get more and accumulate more and get bigger. That, that's kind of the mindset that we've been trained to, to have. So Jesus looks around and says to the disciples, how, how hard is it will be, will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at this. What? It's difficult for wealthy people to get to heaven? And Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard is it? How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God? He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? I mean, that seems almost impossible. Looking at them, Jesus said, with people it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, look at our lives, Lord. We've left everything. Our our wives aren't even with us, which Peter had a, a wife, he had a family. We've left everything. Not that he left his wife, but he was, he was on this mission with Jesus, and he was serving, and he was full-time mission work at this point in time. Look, we, we don't, I didn't carry anything with me. We're, we're truly just out here following you on this mission. And Jesus said, listen to me. Truly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother, father, children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and farms, along with persecutions, it's going to be there, and in the age to come, eternal life. Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. What's amazing is this. If you look back what I said in the beginning, it's, I'm amazed at what God has done in his word and taken us on this journey. But if you look back in the beginning of our journey in the book of Acts, again, the history of, of the apostles, the history of the church, Look at what it says. 
first account I composed Theophilus that all Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen to these he also presented himself alive after, after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God he gather, gathering, to, gathering them together he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, Lord, is, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and then in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. After he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. A cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why, why, why you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who's been taken up from you in heaven, he's going to come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So what did they do? They did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem on Sabbath day journey away. When they entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They prayed. The account started with a couple of commands. First, he told them, don't leave Jerusalem. That was verse 4. And then verse 12, we see them do that. They return to Jerusalem. The second command was in verse 8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. That's how it started out. The church receiving the commands of Christ and obeying them. And what did we read this morning? The very last two verses of the book of Acts. He was staying where God had him two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him. And what was he doing? Exactly what the church was commanded to do, regardless of what situation they were in, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. From the beginning to the end of it, we see the church faithful. The first church, again, saw the surpassing value that I mentioned a while ago in Philippians chapter 3. The surpassing value of Jesus Christ. And I pray as I close that we too see the surpassing value of knowing Christ, of serving Him at His pleasure. I pray this morning that you see another example in this servant of God, Paul, under house arrest, sacrificing and serving and preaching Jesus Christ his circumstances weren't ideal, but he was all in for Jesus because Jesus meant the most to him. Does Jesus mean the most to you? Do you share him, even in ideal situations? Somebody would look at this situation for Paul and, and say, man, I think I would be bitter having to foot my own bill in a prison that they put me in. I wouldn't have a good attitude. I'd be trying to get everybody to get me out of prison. Then I would go and preach Jesus. Jesus freed me. I'm going to ask you again, do you truly know Christ as your Savior and Lord? And if you do, 
Are you being who you're supposed to be in Christ? Helping us be who we're supposed to be as a church. Living sacrificially and sincerely, even when trials are prolonged. But if you don't know Christ truly as your Savior and Lord, please hear me. As we close out this study, I urge you to close out that chapter of your life by dying to self and trusting Jesus alone. Do it today. Don't wait. Don't think about it. If you're not positive that Jesus is your Lord and Savior because you surrendered your all to him, don't leave here hoping you did it right. Make sure you have surrendered your all. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be in this place and the freedoms that we have. Again, I, I think about the Apostle Paul and he was doing what he was supposed to do in prison. And it was costing him money. Just a, another great example as we close this study out. Another great thing for us to say, see, it's not just Jesus who was the perfect example who did everything right. But you've preserved examples of men who were sinners, who operated in your grace and your mercy, who chose to be who you called them to be. Not perfect and sinless, but sincere and sacrificing, obedient. And Lord, I pray that we would apply that to our lives and we would do the same. No matter how bad life seems to get or it does get, no matter how difficult, no matter what the trial we're in, no matter how long the trial is, that we'll be who we're supposed to be at all times, Lord. I pray that we'll grow from this study as we move forward. I pray that you just move now as we respond in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as we sing.